just before Easter, I remember sitting in a planning meeting and uh, that song was played. And I said, wow, that song's really good. Who wrote it? <laughs> and the team said, we did. And uh, I tried not to hide my shock. Um, beautiful lyrics on that. Um, and at the end of the service today, you'll be able to uh, just go outside and, and just pick up a copy of the CD that, uh, that is the child track from it that our team wrote. And, and what I really love about uh, that song is the depth of the content. You know, I really believe that we're entering into a season where worship will be defined by substance, not style. And I really believe that the church needs to enter into a day and into a season where we recognize that contemporary music is nothing more than a soundtrack of what God is saying to a local body of believers. And that's what Forever Overcome is. It's essentially a soundtrack of what God has been saying to us. That we are to be focused on the substance of the good news of Jesus Christ, and we are to express that truth, whether verbally proclaimed, taught, preached, or even in worship. And uh, if you go and pick up a copy of that CD, you will truly see the depth of the content. And uh, it's really just uh, blessed me as over the last couple of weeks, I've just been able to listen to it. And I do pray that you'll be able to uh, join us at the end of uh, the service just by picking up a copy. Now, what I want to do today is... uh, and just talk about why we've released that CD at the same time as we're, we're kind of going public with our Water's Edge network. Now, if you're here for the first time, you may be thinking, oh, no, I came to listen to the Bible, not to a pastor talk about himself. But I pray that, and not about himself, but about the church, right? I, I pray that you would go away from here having a really, really, really good idea of what's happening in the church in America. And, and that you would also really, really, really understand your role in it and our role in it. Because what the Water's Edge Network is, it's a fresh approach to doing church and cooperating with the church in America as we seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in what is a critical season of time. And our Water's Edge Network is the response to that. And I pray today, as I say, that you'll understand your role in it, and I pray that you will understand our role in that as well. So today I'm just asking the question, what is the Water's Edge Network? And obviously, what has that got to do with us right here? Well, simply put, the Water's Edge Network is simply a family of kingdom-minded, missionally motivated churches. The Water's Edge Network is the name that we have given to what we believe is a movement of the Spirit of God that has led us to embrace the task of what we call accelerating reproducing churches. In other words, we believe that the mission that Jesus Christ gave to the church is for the entire church. That it's too big for one church. It's too big for even a, a small number of churches. And what we need to do is to accelerate the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that's an essential part of our strategy. And so through that Water's Edge network, we are signifying our commitment to slaying the spiritual giant or the giant of spiritual emptiness. And you remember, if you've been here on our previous Water's Edge Sundays, Pastor Micah, who's speaking in our Grand Rapids campus today, has talked about our AMP strategy, A-M-P-E-D, the, the five giants 
giants that we believe need to be slain in order for the goodness of God to be seen for the kingdom of God to be experienced. And it begins with the letter A, accelerating reproducing churches. Why? To tackle the giant of emptiness, spiritual emptiness. People need to be reconciled with God. And once we find reconciliation with God, we're able to be reconciled to one another. Our Water's Edge Network is a response to that. Now, for you to really be able to flow with me, I'm going to suggest to you today that the Water's Edge Network is essentially three things. Firstly, it is actually a mentality. It's a way of thinking about the church. It's a way of thinking about how we partner with the church. It's a mentality. Now, this mentality is something that influences the way we're organizing ourselves. To help you understand this, I want you to come on a journey with me down what I'm calling Church Street. This is a basically a visual representation of what we're going to do over the next few moments of all of the churches in America, organized from the smallest through until the largest. And I want to take you on a walk. I want to take you on a journey down Church Street for you to be able to see the church in America, maybe in a way that you've never seen it before. The Water's Edge Network is a mentality. It's the way that we think about the church in America, and it's a way that we address our responsibility to the mission that God has given to the church in America. Now, as we walk down the street, the first thing you'd notice is that there are a lot of churches. 385,000 churches, to be precise. As you keep walking along, you, you kind of uh, do what, you know, little kids do. You, you poke your head through the doors and through the windows as the people are on the inside. And, and you notice something. You notice that 11% of these churches are now led by female pastors. That number is increasing. The church is changing. In 1998, it was a lot less than that. We walk a, a little bit further, and we poke our heads through a few more doors and look at it, the congregation there, and, and we notice that at the front of the congregation is a lead pastor who is increasingly multi-ethnic. He's increasingly coming from the non-white element of America. Again, the number is increasing. We walk a little bit further, and we're noticing that a lot of these churches are, are really small. We wonder how they can even make it. And so we may be bold and actually attend one of these services, and, and we pick up the little weekly that you guys get, right? And, and we kind of look, and we notice that the mean or the average, what we consider to be the average size budget of the average size church in America is 85000 that's the mean. You add up the total budget, right, divided by the total number of churches, and you get the mean. The median size budget, this is for all of you statisticians out there, because you can make numbers mean whatever they want, right? The median number is just basically you put the smallest budget on one side, the largest budget on the other. You go find the middle number, okay? That's the $450,000 budget. That's the kind of median budget. 
Now, more than that, you actually recognize that the average size congregation is shrinking. A few years ago, it was 75 people. Now it's only 70 people. The median size congregation, 184 people. Now, now we've kind of nearly reached the end of a street. In fact, we're, we're 93% down our street. And we kind of look back and we thought, man, there are so many churches, but where are all the people? We're 93% of the way down. And we noticed that none of the congregations here are actually larger than 400 people. In fact, 93% of the congregations on Church Street are under 400 people. And then we look at the end, at the end of our street, and we kind of see that 50% of people who attend church on Church Street attend only 7% of the churches. If you're going to understand the Water's Edge Network, you need to understand this. Central is one of those 7%. Now we're in Church City, right? What is it, 171 churches? Somebody told me we've got a number of churches in Church City that are over 400 people. But Central is one of the 7%. And do you know what this means? It basically means that we have a decision to make about what we do with all this. See, God has given us a mission to go into all the world and make disciples of all people. But this mission is too big for, our, for us on our own. And so we need to work out how are we going to do this in America when this is the reality. What do we do with churches that are way back there? See, because it's, it's not only true that most of the people are congregated in these 7% of churches, it's also true that most of the resources are too. Financial resources, people resources, systems resources, most of them are right there. What do we do with that? Research indicates that most seminarians, people who go to seminary, you go to seminary typically because you're exploring a call to ministry. Most seminarians come out of the largest churches. Kind of follows, right, most of the people. Most of the people call to ministry. The only problem, most of the jobs are out here. 70% of all pastors are actually in smaller churches. 80% of non-pastoral staff they're in these smaller churches. And yet most of the people feeling that call into ministry are coming from the larger church. Are you aware of a potential problem there? People 
who go to seminary. Often those younger generations have been inspired by the large church ministries, by the, the mass of people, by the mass of resources, by the wealth of opportunities. And they say, I want to give my life to this. And so they go to tram- seminary, they get trained for four years, and the only jobs available are in the smaller churches. One person describes what they experience as they kind of take on ministry in a smaller church with these words. They get placed, he writes, in places where people enjoy church of 50 and don't really want it to change. In places where PowerPoint or Keynote or Prezi is a dirty word. In places where words like missional and emerging don't really compute. In places where three-piece suits still rule the day on a Sunday morning. At nine o'clock, they probably would have said hallelujah to that. In places where you can still hear, if the King James was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for me. And yes, I've heard that one too. So the church gets frustrated. The pastor gets frustrated. And unless there is some give and take, it is a relationship that doesn't last long. Some pastors will get so frustrated that they will be out of ministry within a relatively short space of time. That experience is true. The statistics bear that out. You see, in 1998... 48% of churches in America were led by lead pastors under the age of 50. In 2012, it had dropped from 48% to 35%. That 13% swing is more drastic than it sounds. Furthermore, in 1998, the average age of the lead pastor on Church Street was 48 years old. In 2006, it was 53 years old. In 2012, it is 55 years old. It's gone up as the younger people, the younger leaders are bailing out. They were inspired to do ministry because of what was happening in here. But the reality of working with limited resources, difficult issues, is leading so many of them to say, I can't do it here. Now, for those of you who are against statisticians, you may want to note that in, in what is it, 48% of the, let me phrase that differently. In 1998, the average age, okay, of the adult population over 25 from 98 until 2012 increased from 43 years of age to 46 years of age. Only three years was the increase. In other words, the age increase in leadership in the church increased at over twice the age increase in the nation in the same time period. In other words, we've got an awful lot of churches 
on Church Street, but they're not healthy. They're struggling. And the struggle is getting more acute as the smaller churches grow smaller and the larger churches grow larger. That is the trend. If you can understand the Water's Edge Network and the way we're structuring our church, you have to understand that we believe in the smaller church. Now, that may sound rich if you're visiting us when you're sitting in an auditorium like this with a, within a facility like this, 300,000 square feet. But we're organizing our church in the way that we are because we believe in helping those churches further down the street. We believe that the larger small to the medium-sized churches have a vital part to play in the emerging America. And we want to do everything we can to help those churches out. Not in a paternalistic kind of way, but in a very personal kind of way. You see, I started ministry as a young guy feeling called to ministry as a 13-year-old boy attending seminary in London and doing ministry in smaller churches. This kind of thing really isn't my world. For the vast majority of my ministry, I've been involved in smaller to medium-sized churches, and there were so many times when I just needed someone to help. I was ill-prepared for some of the challenges that I would face in the small church. I remember being voted in as a lead pastor for the first time. I was about 32 years of age. And at that first meeting, someone came up to me, and uh, basically, uh, just the vote had been announced. There was only one no vote. I was happy with that. The person came up to me at the end of the service and said, I suppose you want to know who voted no. I'm actually like, no, there's some things that are really good not to know. And he said, it was me. And I thought, how could you do that? You're a Brit and you voted no to me? He looked at me and he said, this is what he said. I believe that you have more talent than this church's opportunity. And I believe it is a waste of your time and the waste of the call for you to come here. The best no vote ever. <laughs> 70 people, about 10 to 13 different nations. And that's how my journey into lead pastoral ministry began. The vision of the church was quite simple. They'd saved up enough money for a couple of years to pay the lead pastor's salary, and my objective was to help work with that small but faith-filled congregation to grow the church to such a point in time that they could salary the lead pastor's salary. You see, in Germany, to pay uh, someone a $25,000 a year take-home, the church had to pay 63. All the rest was taken in taxes and social insurances. We've got it good over here, believe me. And so we started. I started ministry. And God quickly grew that church. But I didn't know how to lead a growing church. I, I didn't know how to deal with some of these issues. I remember one time a, a German lady came to me with uh, her husband, who was from the continent of Africa, 
And she said, we have a problem. Can you help us out? We, I need your wisdom, she said. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, well, he's basically got two wives pointing to her husband. And I'm like, what? And she said to me, well, here's the deal. Before he came to Germany, he was married to a lady in Africa using African traditional religion, which is recognized. Those marriages are recognized in Africa, but they're not recognized in Germany. To which point he said, I've only got one wife legally. That's you. And she said, yes, but that's in Germany. In Africa, it's different. And she looked at me. She said, Pastor, can you help us out? What do we do? I'm like, God, I don't know. (laughs) Help me. See, there were challenges that that I had as I was just trying to work out my call and work out my ministry, and I needed help. And I'm thankful that in each step of the journey, there has been someone that God has brought into my path who was just willing to open their arms and just say, let me walk this road with you. Let me help you. If you can understand the way that we're organizing the church, you need to recognize that at the heart of what we're doing is the belief that God has blessed us with so much because he wants us to be a blessing to those churches further down the street that have the potential to be far more effective moving forward with our help than they would be without it. I I believe that what the verses that we talk and use personally apply to us corporately. Passage like Proverbs 22. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Many of us practice generosity because we believe in verses like this. Or, Or this one. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I honestly believe that what applies to us in our personal lives must apply to us in our corporate life. We need to practice corporately what each of us practices personally. And it's not enough. It is not the responsible thing to do and to say as a pastor, to say something like, well, the church has been generous. We're going to be generous by just doing things that helps our ministry grow. No, our responsibility as kingdom-minded believers is to help the kingdom grow in America. And we do that by blessing others with what God has blessed us. And so if you can understand the Water's Edge Network, it's simply a mentality that is built on generosity. It's built on a very clear picture of what is happening in the church in America. But it's also built on a belief that empowering pastors and churches back down the street is a task that cannot be overlooked if we want to reach this nation. It's too big for 7% of churches to do it on their own. We have to start to figure out how do we work with churches further down the street. How do we do this? It's a mentality. We believe that God is calling us to do this. That's our thought. But the water's edge then. If it's a way of thinking about the church and our responsibility with it, it's also something that demands a strategy. We have to have a way of doing this. And we do have a way of doing this. At the heart of what we're doing is three terms that we'll use. 
We're going to do this by localizing the mission of the church. What do I mean with that? Our strategy is built on the belief that we win as a kingdom, not by central crossing the borders between towns and cities, states and nations, through transporting what we do. No, we win as a kingdom by crossing those borders through helping others do what they are called to do. You see, what's happening in the, in the mega church kind of movement, in the 7% is typically that churches want to reach people for Jesus Christ. And the way they're doing this is adopting the franchise model. You go to one Starbucks, you've been to every Starbucks. You go to one Chick-fil-A, you go to every Chick-fil-A. And you go to one church with that name, you go to every church with that name. They transport everything. They don't localize the knowledge what they do is they basically localize the mechanisms. And what we believe in doing is basically allowing pastors and churches that are in a town to do what God has called them to do in the way that God is calling them to do it. We don't want to transport our ideas we want to transport the ideas that can help them fulfill their call. The second idea here is it's not just localized, it's also decentralized. That basically means that major ministry decisions sit with the campus pastor rather than with the lead pastor of a multi-site church and with the board that helps them run it. Our job right here is to help them not control them. Think about this. Think about the founding of your nation. If you go back and read history, one of the big motivators for many people leaving Europe was they were sick and tired of being controlled by religious bodies, were they not? And, and so they longed for the idea of freedom, to freely express their faith. That's kind of constitutionalized now, isn't it? And what happened is this freedom of expression, this freedom of ministry, freedom from the, the controlling powers of legal, religious organization resulted in growth that has actually produced denominations, they call it the big six in America, that began to organize themselves using the same legal principles that all of our forefathers, your forefathers, actually fled from. And so the vast majority of denominations are organized around controlling legal principles. And what we're saying is, look, there may have been a time when that was right, but the way forward in a post-Christian America that will at one point, unless Jesus comes back, become pre-Christian is to go back and to recognize that the power of Christ is in the church and in the churches not in the denominations. And what we need to do is we need to free up those resources to help churches do what those churches are called to do. We localize the strategies. We decentralize the decision-making. And we do all of this because we synchronize those processes that so many pastors find difficult to manage.
See, the way we'll do it is by synchronizing our business, our communications, our guest services, our mission strategy, so that those pastors who recognize the importance of those operational essentials and struggle to do it because there isn't that depth of talent in their small church are now able to do it with excellence. Here's what that means. If you're anything like me, you can come into a church like this and you can look at a facility like this and you can think, well, they clearly don't need our money, do they? Or you'll evaluate how much you give to a missions organization on the basis of, okay, what's the overhead costs, right? How much, of this, how much of this money that I give is actually going to on-the-ground ministry? How much of it is being absorbed into things like that? I'm sure you're like me. You do that too. But see, through synchronizing our business operations, our communication, all of those essential items, what we are doing is actually taking every dime, every dollar that is given and utilizing that same investment to bless churches further down the street. What it's doing is asking our staff to do for others what they're doing for us. These are some of the things that I really struggled with as a pastor of a church of around 175 through until that 400 mark. Because people were coming to the church and they expected the, the check-in procedures to be top-notch. They expected, expected all the business, all the communications, everything to be at the top, but we didn't have the resources to do it. See, through synchronizing all of these things, all of those behind-the-scenes things, what we're enabling to happen is deliver excellence to a smaller church further down the street. It doesn't cost them a dime. It costs us. And we do it gladly because this is part of the mechanisms that help those smaller churches to grow. So the Water's Edge Network is a mentality. It's the way we think, not just about the ministry of Jesus, it's also the way we think about how we work with other churches. It's also a strategy. We recognize that, look, so many people are called into ministry to do what God has called them to do. And we need to localize that. We need to allow that to happen. We need to give those leaders the ability to make those choices further down the pipe. But at the same time, we need to help them out by putting into place those things behind the scenes they're really so important that they will struggle to do well. It's a mentality. It's a strategy. But thirdly, it's a family. Our Water's Edge Network is a family of kingdom-minded, missionally motivated churches. And because it's a family, we want our church family to grow. That's why over the last few years, we've gone from one location six, and we believe that there will be many more because we want our family to grow. We take spiritually what God told Adam and Eve physically. Go forth, multiply, fill the earth. We want to populate. We want to recreate. We want to reproduce missionally motivated churches. Now, how is this growth going to happen? How does family growth happen? Well, firstly, it happens biologically. The couple meets, they get married, then they have children, 
and they watch those children grow. And as they watch them grow, they provide all of the support, all of the care, all of the direction that they can. And then it gets to the point, college age, right, where you just wave goodbye as you drive off in the car and you think, God, I just hope that I put enough in them and I trust them into your care and into your hands and, and please just be with them as they go and just do what you've called them to do. So there's this growing, there's this idea of sending, and then at some point in time, you look forward to being grandparents. Not me, I feel I'm too young for that, that time might come. But that's how we expect families to grow. We, we expect that. In the same way, we expect that as a, as a church family. We do expect that there will be people coming through our midst. People like Torn, people like Jordan, who God will be sending out and who we will feel the call to send out and support in terms of a campus. And we will grow them up, we will send them out, and we will support them to help them get to the point of being able to do for others what Central has done for them. We did that with Torrin and Jordan. And they're doing so well. And again, if you were to go onto the local church Grand Rapids website, you won't see Central anywhere. From next week, you may well see the little central water drop, the water's edge water drop, but you won't see our name because it's not about our name. It's about the name of Jesus and empowering local people to do what God has called them to do. And it's going really well. Our family is growing. We took 55 people, sent them to Grand Rapids, and last week they were nearly 250 people. God is doing a great work because we were committed to putting in those processes that people like Torrent would really struggle to do, and he would be the first one to tell you. He loves ministry, ad ministry, forget it. He needs help. But our family is growing because we're willing to give him that help. But that's not the only way families grow, is it? Families also grow through the adoptive process. Vipka and I have been blessed with four biological children. But our family now has six children as we've adopted two children. I, one of the things that really blesses me about Holland is how open we are as a community to welcome in the orphans and give them a forever family. It is a thrill for me to, to hear my son go to someone else and says, are you adopted too? With a big smile on his face. Families grow not just through biological reproduction, but also through this foster and adoptive process. Our two children came to be our own children um, as a result of a foster process. Now, when you get involved in foster care, you, do, you get involved in foster care, you foster a child praying as a believer that the system's work with the parents would be so successful that you'd be able to reunite those children with the biological mom and dad. In our case... Mum didn't follow through on the process, and there were nine children who were going to be wards of state. And during this process, Vipir and I were called to leave those children that we were fostering in Florida and move up here. Part of me was wondering, God, this is the only thing about this move that doesn't make sense. Everything about leaving Florida, coming up here, made sense. But as we looked at it with those kids, God, what are you doing? Now, a few years later... 
being here and seeing all of those nine kids of forever families from people in Holland, I know what God was doing. God has taken orphans and he has given them forever families. Families grow that way too. And we honestly believe that our church family will grow that way too. We honestly believe that there will be people in our future who will be like me in my past. Leaders who have a tremendous ministry going on, but just need the guidance and the support. And what the Water's Edge Network will allow us to do is, is to not legally adopt them. They don't become legal entities of central, but we do believe that the opportunity is there for them to come into, step into our forever family called the Water's Edge Network, and, and we can do for them what we do for other members of our own family. See, this is the way we believe this works. We believe that for America to be restored spiritually, we need the church of Jesus Christ to be the church of Jesus Christ. And folks, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to be in one of those 7% categories. We have so many resources but we want you to know what we're going to do with these resources. We're going to look further down the street, and we're going to find every way we can to empower the church of Jesus Christ to be the church of Jesus Christ. And we will do all of this impacting more people than it is possible for many of you to ever know. And we will do this not for our fame, but for his. We don't care whether our name is put up in lights. We do all of this as an act of worship because we truly believe that worship is possible because of mission. It is possible for all of us to essentially worship God because at some point in time, someone proclaimed the truth of Jesus to us. Someone did that. Mission exists Evangelism exists, John Piper says, because worship does not. And so our act of worship is to take what God has given to us and to say, God, how can we bless not just the world with it, but the church with it? And so when you think about the Water's Edge Network, and you, and you hear a lot more about this, just remember what it is. It's a way of thinking about the world. It's a way of thinking about the church in America. It's a way of doing ministry that takes all of the blessings that we have got right here and tries to find ways that we can take that and help those pastors and those churches further down the street. It's a family that we expect to grow. And it's also an act of worship. Because where worship exists, mission must coexist. It is not possible to be a worshiping community and neglect those who have never heard. And so our prayer really is that every knee and as many of those needs as possible, will bow to Jesus voluntarily in this life so that they don't have to bow involuntarily in the next. Philippians chapter 2 says 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. This Water's Edge Network is an act of worship. It says, God, what you have blessed us with, we rejoice in giving back to others. I've invited the team to come up and and to lead us in a song. You're probably going to want to stand with this. Um, It's a song from the album called Every Knee Will Bow. And it just captures that thought. That at the heart of what we do is the desire for every knee to bow. And the only way that will work is if we accept our responsibility as a church, not simply to go into all of the world, and forget about our nation, but to go into all of the world, including our nation.